Welcome to Media Tribe. I'm Shauna Kinnear and this is the podcast that tells the story behind the story. It's an opportunity for you and I to step into the shoes of the most extraordinary media folk who cover the issues that matter most. And found myself in an atrium right behind the front door at the colonnaded White House. I shouldn't have been there. So I went through the, the front door and in front of me was the presidential motorcade waiting for the Taoiseach and the president to go up to Capitol Hill for the big speaker's lunch. And as I was looking, I was going, wow, that's quite the spectacle. Her window came down and out of the window, Jerry Adams looks at me and says, top of the morning to you, Mr. Tuberty. My guest today is Ryan Tuberty. Ryan is a very famous Irish broadcaster who hosts the long-running Late Late Show on RT Television on a Friday night, as well as hosting The Ryan Tuberty Show on RT One. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the Media Tribe podcast. Well, it's it's an absolute pleasure because um, I feel it's like a reciprocal arrangement. Uh, you have had a an extraordinary array of people on and now me. So let's see what we can do to the um, standard, lower it, hopefully. Well, I feel slightly bad because obviously um, I accosted you on your own show on national radio and asked you to come on the podcast. So did you in some way feel slightly pressured? No, no. I thought you did what any good journalist would do, which is take an opportunity. It's not what this is all about. Um, where you see the moment and you seize it. You're very polite. But look, we're here now and the audience will be dying to understand your career journey and trajectory. Did you start at 12 years of age, Ryan? Is that a true story? Yeah, it is. I was I was um, going to see films um, in, in around Dublin in Ireland where I'm from. And at the age of 12, we ran out of films to go to see. And I said to my dad, I said, what are we going to do about this? He said, write to the write to the paper. So the paper of record in, in this country, as you know, is the Irish Times. So a, a precocious 12-year-old wrote to the Irish Times and said, um, dear sir, uh, I, I note with, with the disappointment, the lack of films for 12-year-olds around the place. Uh, there's the Goonies and Rocky Five or something. I said, I've seen them all. And what, what to do? That was it. It was a paragraph. And it, that was published on the 20th of February, 1986. Um, and the reason I know those dates so well is because I still have the letter and uh, not the original one that I wrote in, but the one that was published in the paper because it changed my life. Um, after that, uh, somebody from a, the national broadcaster got in touch from RTE to say, would you like to come and review films for us on our kids TV Saturday morning program? And I went in, I reviewed uh, the adventures of Natty, of young Sherlock Holmes and the journey of Natty Gan, two films that died a death instantly. And uh, I sat it there. I got paid 25 punts, Irish pounds. And I thought, this is a way to make a living. I mean, this is great because uh, I love movies and you know, films. Is called. And then I was listening to the radio and her kids reviewing books on a Sunday morning uh, radio show on RTE radio. And I wrote in, I said, can I have a go at that? And they said, sure. And they sent me a, a parcel of books and I'm a big book guy and I always have been a bookworm. And I suddenly found myself on, on the radio at the age of kind of 13, 14, 15. Then the voice broke. That makes it the wilderness years. You're not attractive or wanted by anyone at any level of society. And I went off and did my final exams and went to college. And the story progresses from there. But yes, it began with the letter to the paper at the age of 12. 
That is extraordinary. That doesn't happen to many people, Ryan. So fair play to you um, writing in that letter. So you studied at UCD. That's where I also went. But then you went into Orti. And I would say in today's terms, you know, you did have quite a, a linear journey. You know, you started at radio. I'm assuming you did the night shifts and, and graduated to the morning shifts doing tougher stories, etc. Well, it's funny. It, it, what happened was I went to UCD. I studied history and Greek and Roman civilization under the arts umbrella, which I got mocked for, but actually is one of the best things I ever did because I love, I did Latin for my leaving cert, one of, you know, which was very unusual still, even at, at, in 1991. But I loved that classical world. I loved the, uh, whether it's uh, the, the, the Caesars. I mean, if you don't, if you don't study Julius Caesar uh, or Tiberius or Augustus, you'll never understand Trump or Obama or Blair or Brown or, you know, they're titanic struggles. There's politics. So they all, you know, it's all been done before. Anyway, it, and, and also the architecture of it means that you're never bored. Anyway, uh, I was going into uh, RT going, what, what can I do here? I'd like to, I think broadcasting would be my thing. There were no opportunities. But eventually I managed to, to score a job as a runner on what, what was called the Jerry Ryan show. So that was a big, big show on, on Red 2FM. And I was making tea and coffee and doing the post and uh, bringing Danish pastries down to this amazing presenter who I admired from afar for years. And that's when it began really, because then I started to learn. I saw microphones and speakers and uh, reporters and researchers and producers. And I thought, I, this is, I like this world. Uh, I kept going, I was doing parallel. And um, yeah, and I found my way. I started doing little reports, packages for different programs and so on. And then eventually various producers spotted me and said, this, this kid, get him on. And I worked as a as a reporter for different people like Pat Kenny and so on. And then I started getting my own shows quietly and replacing the big presenters for summer shifts and so on. And I just it was just a real build from there. And then television came knocking. So it was a it was a strange, persistent, um, polite ambition. You know, I I, I wasn't uh, it, it wasn't an, an ugly hunger. It was just a, it was, it was an intense curiosity. And I thought, yeah, I could really do this. I, I did have good self-belief actually, which can often be um, confused and mixed with uh, cockiness, but there's a, there's, a, there's a huge difference. Absolutely. It's great to hear that you did the slog, making the tea and, and, and all of those tough jobs. I certainly did the same um, at the BBC and that's what needs to be done. Don't you find, Sean, it's like you could have caught that, 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 that then enriches you and equips you as a person to understand people at all levels of society at what they do and where they're at so that you can understand the uh, in terms of empathy and people's lives and what they're going through um, on, on how much they're going through and so on for you know it, it does it does um, it, it's, it's materially very important I think for, for your life experience to, to do all those jobs. Definitely and I actually remember I was a, a good bit older than any other intern at the BBC because I'd, I'd kind of had a, a career beforehand. Um, but I did remember at the BBC, at BBC World, everybody liked to keep their tea bag in the cup. And I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever. It was clear that they weren't drinking Barry's tea because you wouldn't need to do that in that situation. But it did teach me a lot, um, as you say. Now, Ryan, you mentioned Jerry Ryan. I do believe, and, and for our non Irish audience listening. Jerry Ryan was a hugely um, renowned broadcaster in Ireland, passed away 10 years now, I believe. But I believe also, Ryan, he was instrumental in your career. Would you potentially or perhaps call him a mentor? 
Oh, no question about it. And I miss him an awful lot. He was a, a larger than life broadcaster. He was, uh, he would have been kind of in the kind of Howard Stern gene pool without being quite as um, over the top and vulgar, if you like. But he was uh, very bright, very smart, very well read um, man who understood the listeners. He had a great rapport with them. And, um, you know, much like another man who I had so much time and love for, um, I didn't know him as much, but Terry Wogan, who I would have met a few times, and uh, he, he, he would have said, Keep, make it a club, make your show a club that everyone's a member of, lovely democratic feel to it, and also an intimacy. So people would go, the, the day doesn't sound right if I haven't listened to my hour of your, your man or your woman or whatever it might be. Uh, so Jerry was that. He was instrumental, and then he died way too early. Uh, he was snatched away from us all. And I don't know a lot of the presenters that well, but I was very uh, friendly with Jerry, and we loved uh, having drinks together and talking about the world he was he was bold as brass and i like people who are naughty and dark and bold and slightly rebellious and and speak their mind and uh yeah i i miss i miss that and the advice and everything else that went with it but yeah he was he was very very important I, there are a few people um gay burn would be another terry Wogan would be another who you just have to um dive your cap at and say you were tremendous you were important and you are missed Absolutely. And speaking of Gay Byrne, you now host the most important TV show in Ireland. And again, for the non-Irish listeners, um, The Late Late Show is an institution and it's also, I believe, the second longest running TV show in the world. So how does it feel sitting in that chair every Friday night? And as you say, it's, it is the audience. It, it, it does feel like we're part of a club because it gives a structure to the week and it's like a, a you know, a public service. Yeah, it, it is it is um, one of those, I mean, first of all, it, 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 as you say, it's an institution, it's running for over 50 years, and um, I'm trying to, how do you explain, I often explain it to, to British guests when they come on, they say, they say, this thing's very old, and you're not old, or that old enough for it, and I said, no, it, it, this is the, t the, the chat show TARDIS, I'm just the latest doctor. And then they go, oh, I see, right on that. And that, that makes sense. It's, it is running nearly as long as Doctor Who. And it, it is just one of those things that you watch as a child and you think, God, I wonder if someday could I ever be on TV or, uh, you know. And when I get on the radio, you know, this sounds like this kind of phony, self-deprecating thing. But when I got on the radio, it was the kind of late 90s, early noughties. And that was a time where um, looks were at a premium. And I felt that's me written off and I, i'm not fishing i'm just saying, simply saying that's just a matter of, of physical genetic fact so when eventually uh, the opportunity came up i managed to get a, a saturday chat show which i did for five years called tuberty tonight and when the late late show became the, the 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 hosting job became vacant um i thought it's too soon for me i didn't think it was going to be a runner at all to be honest with you they called a few people in for a non and what i would call a non-interview um it was a conversation and i suppose it was a pitch really and of course i would have told them why i thought i'd be good enough for it uh, and i got a call to say you're you, you just got the job and i'll never forget i'll never forget the moment i mean it was charlie bucket getting the golden ticket it was absolute joy and i called my mother and father I'm so happy that they were, my dad's not alive now, but I was so happy that he was alive at the time so that uh, they were both alive that I could share with them 
my joy and gratitude. And ever since then, it's been, I'm doing it 11 years, 12 years now. It has been brilliant. I have been awful. I have been good. Uh, I have had great seasons. I've had bumpy roads. Um, but I'm glad to say at the moment, we're on a very good road. And we're, I'm, I'm very, very happy, very much in love with my job. That's brilliant here. And I believe the numbers are dramatically up during um, this weird time that we're living in. Um, did you have 50% listenership or viewership rather quite recently, Ryan? Well, the viewership figures are quite um, bonkers for people listening in from around the world. Um, this, the Late Late Show, we have to explain, is a, is a serious institution in Ireland. Ireland is a small island. I'm trying to defend the, the large <laughs> percentage share of the, but, we, but uh, throughout the last season, we would we were regularly pulling in uh, between 48 and uh, maybe 55, 60% share um, on a weekly basis. Um, so we've had a very good run. Um, and we have a, an annual institution on the show called the Toy Show. Um, and that can regularly pull in 70, 72% audience share. Um, which is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's for us. But I hasten to add, I've inherited a lot of this good fortune in terms of the show. Um, uh, and I'm, my, my job is to keep it relevant, keep it healthy. Um, and uh, we're, so with the right people around me, we're, we're doing that. Great. So, Ryan, next question, big question. Is there a moment in your career that you feel has had impact, something that you're quite proud of? I'm, obviously, one is loath to take the trumpet out and, and start tooting. But I think that uh, down, down through the years, um, for whatever reason, um, uh, the area of domestic violence is something that I find really important to talk about. Um, and that and, funny enough, poverty in, in Ireland through what's called the Vincent de Paul uh, charity, um, and the domestic violence issue through women's aid and uh, safe Ireland for as I say for whatever reason they uh, are two um, institutions organizations that I find whenever we talk about around those uh, stories I find it most moving and most uh, productive is a strange word word but uh, but most impactful people listen to it and they stop and they go, okay, we need to do, you know, we need to um, either shine a light on it or maybe listen to the muffled shouts of what's happening next door and actually make a phone call. So I've, I find, and then with the, with the Vincent Paul business, it's, it's poverty, it, that's simply poverty. This is a beautiful charity. They put a, a, a bale of briquettes in, the, in their fireplace and they'll put a tin of biscuits in your press. I just find the simplicity of what they do is very powerful and um People listen to interviews with people who've been through that and they go, okay, I'm going to make a donation or whatever it might be, uh, or I'm going to actually ring them and say, I need your help. Uh, and they get over a, a line in their lives. And then when they're over that and they're over their troubles and they come back and they give back. So strangely, rather than say to you, you know, I was that interview with, uh, with Hillary Clinton or Christine Lagarde or Margaret Atwood, which are all things that I adore doing it. And I'm dropping the names. I'll pick them up on my way, on my way out the door. But I'm just saying to you, they, they, they're all big marquee interviews that are fascinating. Um, but if you ask me what's, what's most important, it's probably real people telling stories that will get people who are in trouble out of a hole or a dark corner. Well, that kind of leads nicely on to 
you and your team having frontline workers on the Late Late Show months before COVID, you know, COVID was even a thing. Why did you decide to do that, Ryan? Well, that's a really good question on the basis that we sat down last July and said, myself and the two people that run the show, Jane and Catherine, and we, the three of us sat down and I said, um, we all agreed, where are we going? What, what do we want? A mission statement. And the word that kept coming back was, strangely, Ireland. I'm a very, very proud Irishman. Like, I love my country. I come from a very political family, uh, steeped in, in tradition of, of politics and, and uh, patriotism and pride in country. Um, not not, a, not a, a, a dark um, history in my family in that sense, but just one that is, it, this is another interview, by the way, but that's for my ancestors, but, but one that is based on, on a love of country and compatriots and, and pride and so on. Um, and it's not, it's not um, uh, to use a kind of borrow phrase from the UK, it's not, it's not jingoistic. It's, it's simply saying, you know, I love the bones of the place. You know, I love the stone walls of Connemara. I love the 12 pins. I, I, you know, I, I, I like the, 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 the pier in Dunleary and Teddy's ice cream. Anyway, I'm gone off on a tangent. What I'm trying to say is you, you asked, what did we do? We sat down and we said, Ireland. Now, why? Well, we find that down through the years, what's the most, you talk about the audience numbers, the, always the audience numbers for the late late show, that spike that go biggest is for Irish guests. Irish people love looking at Irish people. Uh, whether it's a politician, whether it's, um, it's somebody in, in, uh, with, a, with a life story to tell or a, or a singer, they just love to see them. And um, we, th- th- we just thought, let's bring it all back home. And this is pre-COVID, just about pre-COVID. So what we did was we said, well, what do we celebrate? Let, we'll start the show by celebrating the best of Irish. Who are the best of Irish? See, the very simple question, Ireland, best of Irish, who are the best of Irish? And that was a simple answer. The men and women in uniform. Uh, who represent us in the defence forces, who represent us in whether it's the prison system, uh, whether it's the post office, uh, people, frontline. And we brought representatives of all of them onto the show and outside the TV studios we had. A, it was kind of a big thank you. Uh, to, and the, the theme music to the Late Late Show is quite a martial. Um, so it has that sense of pomp and ceremony. And it was just magnificent. And it went down a storm because people went, why did we not say thank you to these people before? Look at them. And nearly everyone in Ireland, a population of nearly 5 million, is, rel- is related to somebody or has had an encounter with someone in uniform for, for whatever reason. And we, I, I keep saying it, little did we know. Within, uh, what are we, September, October, November, within five or six months, these people would become the front line in the war against COVID. And... It's been remarkable. Last week, I, uh, I went on board the LE Kira ship, military vessel, uh, in the pier uh, off the pier here in Dunleary in Dublin. Uh, yesterday, I went to the National Ambulance Service to visit them at their HQ to see how they're getting on and what's going on. And they're remarkable people. So I hope that's probably a long-winded answer. But No, I think it's great. And I, I think it's kind of, you know, what we were chatting about before we pressed record. Um, there is a sense that the pandemic, you know, th- some, some positives can come from this. You know, we will start appreciating, you know, the really important people in society and perhaps, you know, exactly what you've just said there, you know, looking towards ordinary people in inverted commas who are in fact extraordinary and 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 really celebrating them as opposed to kind of you know, celeb culture and what have you. I know I think it was really it was a really, really important moment on the Late Late Show. 
Yeah, that's you, you make a very valid point because we were trying to figure out like how do you who do you interview during a pandemic? Um, because celebrity became very vacuous, more than it ever was before. And um, being in a movie, well done. But you know what? There's somebody stacking a shelf over there who's kind of more important than you now. And you, you know what I'm saying. And the, 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 the nature of the guest list on the chat show became predicated on what is this person doing that is so impressive that, that people will respond to. And it was, it was amazing. The, the, the great results we got were from the chief medical officer in Ireland has became a rock star. I mean, Tony Hulan uh, was so respected. I mean, uh, and 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 that, that's before we get to the front lines. My God, at one stage there was even respect for politicians, but that unfortunately has been eroded. You know, the wheels kind of came off the messaging a bit because, yeah, and this is a this is a global phenomenon: COVID fatigue, and people are fed up being told what to do and where to go. And you know, I was at the ambulance service yesterday, and they said, "I said, why the spike up in numbers? Because we're our numbers are back up." And they told me they said it's really simple. Uh, people aren't washing their hands and they're not social distancing and they're not sneezing into their sleeve and or their uh, elbow. And I said, is that simple? He said, yeah. He said, we were doing everything right. And then we just got lazy. So we just need to reboot and we'll be grand. And we'll be grand. Well, I think, you know, I just want to pick up on your point about, you know, your love for Irish. There, it, it, and, and you actually asked me this on, on your radio show, Ryan, as well. It's it's that sense of being Irish as well when you're abroad. And, you know, it, w- within the COVID kind of headline, w- when it all kind of broke out in March, um, my husband's cousin, a doctor in Manhattan, her name is Noelle Breslin, she was desperately looking for face masks for her hospital. There was a huge shortage. You know, their ICU unit was jammers. And we all just did a a, a kind of a shout out on Facebook. And it was all the Irish construction workers who came back with a bunch of masks and hand delivered them up to her hospital um, um, in Manhattan. And it just, there's such a great, like when the Irish come together, we can be so productive and and it can be such a positive thing. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard the the, the Irish word uh, mehel, which, you know, loosely translates about uh, into this sense of community in the village, you know, when when the person up the road couldn't get water because they were lame or whatever. They all came together and they went to the well and they brought the water. I mean, it's it's an international um, uh, attitude. You could call it kindness. You could call it decency. And there was a lot of that on show around the place, um, particularly when the country was in lockdown. I, I think it was easier to lock down a country than it was to, easy, to, to lock down three counties in a country um, because there was a uniformity of desire to work together to, to, feed, to, to feed the monster. Um, but when the monster suddenly is knocking only on certain doors in the neighborhood, it, it, mixes, <laughs> it mixes things up a little bit. But when it, when it was in full lockdown, I, I got tested positive at one point. Uh, in the middle of it all, I had to stop doing the TV show for two weeks, and people were saying, "Is he okay?" I I, I had a small, very small cough, like a, the persistent cough. I went back after two weeks. I was delighted because the, that delivered the message to people to say, "You could get it, and you can go back to work." So it's not it's not the end of the world for everyone. It, uh, so it was kind of useful in in a weird way. But yes, it 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 when I was when I had it, I had people dropping things into the cards into the door somebody left a bunch of i remember the time of year it was daffodils at the at the gate and like a neighbor so nice. uh, really, i'll never forget it like it really brightened my uh, my day i was here with my daughters and i had two weeks and the three of us were here uh, and it was strangely joyful i think a lot of people 
were you know had a, had had a good lockdown experience. I was fortunate. A lot of people had terrible ones, but I was fortunate because we we were like these weird housemates just stuck in this COVIDian prison. But thankfully, we all got on well. So I, I won't forget it for for strangely good reasons. Good. Well, Ryan, next question. Now, I really want you to take a moment to think. Is there a kind of a crazy moment in your career that has never quite made it to air that you'd like to tell us about? Can I name drop? Absolutely. <laughs> can, I, can I show off? You can show off. You can throw people over the bridge. Do what you feel okay. like, honestly. And under the bus. Under the bus. Okay. I'm an American politics nut. I adore American politics. And I wrote a book about John F. Kennedy's trip to Ireland. I, uh, I'm very fortunate that I've been invited to the White House a couple of times for the Patrick's Day ceremony, which they, in which the, our Prime Minister Taoiseach gives uh, some shamrock to the American president. And I was there uh, three times. Very, very fortunate. And it was, it, it, uh, it's, it's like a fairy tale. It's just really, it's a real buzz. Uh, the first time I went, I got there and it was, uh, the Taoiseach in Ireland was Bertie Ahern. The president was George W. Bush. And they did the ceremony. And after the ceremony, I walked through a door uh, and found myself in an atrium right behind the front door at the colonnaded White House. I shouldn't have been there. And this... Um, Diplomatic member of the diplomatic corps said to me uh, quietly, "Kind of, did you did you look out the front door?" And I said, "No, I must look out the front door." So I went out this massive front door, and again, because I was dressed like I looked, probably looked like something like one of the the contingent. I had chinos and a jacket, and it was all very, you know, I might have stepped out of one of their cars myself because you know it was dressed appropriately. I, for some reason, I slipped through the net, so I went through the the front door and in front of me was the presidential motorcade waiting for the Taoiseach and the president to go up to Capitol Hill for the big speaker's lunch. And as I was looking, I was going, wow, that's quite the spectacle. One of them was a people carrier. The door, the window came down and out of the window, Jerry Adams looks at me and says, top of the morning to you, Mr. Tuberty. And I said, Mr. Adams, nice to meet you. And then another window opens. Martin McGuinness is looking and he says, how are you, Ryan? And I don't know these guys well, but they knew from the TV or whatever. And then behind Jerry Adams, the then American ambassador to Ireland, Tom Foley, goes, Ryan, nice to see you again. How are you? And I said, oh, I'm Tom, it's good. How are you doing? And I said, the lads, that's quite a motley crew you have in that uh, car. And as we were making small talk, a big, burly Secret Service guy came up. He said, sir, you cannot be here. And I said, I know. Isn't it terrible? I thought I shouldn't be. He said, sir, you either have to step in this car or go back into the um, into the building, but you cannot stay here. And I said to McGuinness, I said, look, I, I, I better go. I said, not at all. He said, hop in. And he opened the door and said, get in. Now, the, the problem is when Martin McGuinness says to you, get in the car, you get in the car. It, it was, but we were all friends then, now, but it's all good. So he slid the door open. I got in. So I'm squeezed into the car, my face against the window with Martin McGuinness. In my head, I think I sure might as well be in an orange jumpsuit in shackles because I'm going to get caught here. I've broken all the rules. Not only that, the car starts up. President Bush gets into the beast with the T-shock and the motorcade starts moving. And I'm terrified. This is a shambles. I, I need to be. How am I going to explain when I get out at Capitol Hill? He said, don't worry about it. You're fine with us. So up we went to Capitol Hill, got to the steps. It was a glorious March, sunny day. And uh, they say, come on up the steps. So I'm walking up the steps with all these different people thinking, how did this 
this, I, I, how am I going to get out of here? Because it was a major seal off. Got into the um, uh, the Congress building, and we just got to the place where they had they were handing out the place names, going. So, what's your name? And McGuinness, yes, you're sitting in seat four. Adams, yes, you're in seat five beside the speaker, whatever it might have been. And I was looking around, starting to really panic now, going, what the hell am I going to get out of here? Eventually, I saw somebody from the Department of Foreign Affairs and said, look at I said, I'm, I'm not meant to be here. And she looked at me, she said, I know. And I said, <laughs> how, how, how do I get out of here? And she said, Andrew, very good. She said, see the steps over there? I said, yeah. I said, say no more. Went down the steps. The president entered the building. So just as I was getting to the bottom steps, the shutter came down because it was shut down. Um, the president obviously sat down or got into the building. Uh, I waited a few minutes. Shutters came up, and I saw a door at the end near the souvenirs, and it was an exit. And I walked out into a beautiful Washington, D.C., sunny day in March to my freedom and not an orange jumpsuit in sight. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. That is gas. And I feel like you're, you're just the type of person that ends up in these situations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I call it gumping after Forrest. Like, I, I'm kind of gumping through. I, I, I get it. I love it. I love the crazy. I love the privilege of it. I love the honor of it. I don't go, yeah, this stuff happens when you're in this job. It doesn't. It's crazy. It's so much fun. It's, it's the dream. Brilliant. Well, that is a perfect place for us to end the interview, Ryan. Thank you so much for, for coming on for, and for being such a good sport. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. If you liked what you heard on this episode of Media Tribe, tune in next week as I'll be dropping new shows every week with all sorts of legendary folk from the industry. And if you could leave me a review and rating, that would be really appreciated. Also, get in touch on social media at Shauna on Twitter or at Shauna Kinnear on Instagram and feel free to suggest new guests. Right, that's it. Until next week, see you then. This episode is edited by Ryan Ferguson.